0: Welcome to the Zika Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. I'm glad you're joining me today, because today I'm going to talk about cardio, specifically jogging versus walking, because I come across many people who struggle to lose weight, even though they may do a lot of jogging or walking or both. To top it off, I do see, like when I'm on Instagram or you know, um, post some trainers who may say walking is better. Some might say jogging is better. So I want, to, I want to clear that up for everybody so we understand exactly the benefits that they give and what may work for you. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you some power pack personal suggestions so you can know how to implement these in your actual weight loss or weight management process. But as always, before I begin this episode, I want to tell you about the inspiration behind the Zika Health Show. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I grew up with really bad asthma and really bad allergies. And over the years, it's gotten worse. I mean, I grew up in Jamaica. I had the problem. I, many days I had breathing issues. Then I came to U.S., same issues, maybe different triggers, but my allergies were tied into my asthma because I've been, I guess you say, semi-fit most of my life, so I could run, I could work out without any breathing issues. So when I would go to the doctor, they would for one, prescribe uh, some type of pill for my allergies, and then... They would give me um, albuterol or Advir or sometimes both to control my asthma. So whenever I would ask my doctor, is there anything I can do to um, get off this medicine? Long story short, they'll basically tell me, no, take your medicine. So I started researching on my own. I started picking up books, learning about lectins, learning about leaky gut, learning about uh, my environment, learning about sugars and so on and so forth. And I started getting really interested. So that's when I really became a fan of podcasts. And that's where I really started to learn as my favorite podcasters would bring on guests and I would pick up their books and learn more or go to their website and just study. And over time, my breathing got better, my gut environment got better. Right now, I don't even have allergy issues. I would, I guess you would say, I mean, I've gone through, I would say the last two years of um, allergy season. Didn't even realize it was allergy season. Now, coming from where I was, where I would get dizzy when the pollen count was too high, I had to go home. And then from the, my gut responding to the pollen count, my body would respond, creating mucus would make it hard for me to breathe. So by learning about the health of my gut and learning not to have my body trigger itself, those things are so important and so vital in me overcoming my issues. Now, I never want to use the words heal, but I'm gonna tell you that I have not had to renew my medication in over two years. Listen to that. Haven't had to renew my medication in over two years. I feel like a completely different person. Now, when I talk to individuals, I let them know: hey, even having allergies is not normal. When we're when we're constantly sneezing, our bodies are responding to the world that's telling us that there is something going on in our gut that's causing our bodies to respond like that. And we need to fix what's happening in our gut. So things that we consider normal is not necessarily optimal. It's because everybody else has it. I'm supposed to have it. It's okay. It's normal. No, normal normal may be common, but that doesn't make it optimal. And that's why I tell my story at the beginning of every episode to let everybody know why I have this show. Why do I bring on guests like doctors and dieticians and nutritionists and so on and so forth? Because I want people to know that we can take control of our health, but only we can do that. Now, I am certified. I have seven certifications later, which I bust my butt to get my certifications because I wanted to be be able to teach and help others to be not just where I am, but beyond where I am. And that's why I have this Equal Health Show. That's why on Facebook, I have the Zico Health crew, and we invite individuals to come in, have a conversation, and I can provide you a depth of knowledge. But that's why I have on my Instagram, at Zico Health, so I can constantly provide good, good, solid information for individuals, so we can learn that we need to take control of our health and all the things that are involved in our health. It's not about taking a pill or just doing one technique. It's about the holistic approach. And once we have that holistic approach down and we're constantly learning, constantly evolving, and constantly getting better, you will be your own health advocate. And I guarantee you, you will want to teach, even if you don't have a podcast or a a huge Instagram or whatever, but those you come in contact with, you will want to tell your story. And that's the reason behind the Zika Health Show and everything that I do. Now, with that being said, I want to read you just a couple of the Apple Podcast reviews, or I say recent reviews I've gotten. This is from Glenn Ford. Every speaker is uh, is well informed. That is title. He says every guest is so knowledgeable about their perspe- I'm sorry. <laughs> every guest is so knowledgeable about their respective topics, and they break down what they've been talking about so well. Again thanks so much for being awesome and an asset to all the lives you touch. Glenn Ford, that means so much to me. Thank you so much God. this is why I do it. I want to help others to be the best version of themselves. That's the only review I'm going to read in this one or in this episode because it tops off everything that I just said. and if you get good quality content out of this or any episode. Go to Apple, give me five stars, leave a comment, and let the world know that this show is transformational and awesome. Now, with that being said, let's get into the episode. Cardio has become an interestingly complicated topic. Traditionally, we were taught to do a ton of cardio, to where now, Many trainers barely recommend cardio. But I'm here to tell you, cardio has many benefits for health and weight loss. And here I'm going to break down two of the benefits or two of these types of cardios and the benefits that they have. And also mention, like, as I always do, some interesting studies and leave you with a powerful recommendation at the end. And as I always do, I'm going to break this puppet down into sections. So let's start with our good friend jogging. I don't, I don't have any facts to say it's the oldest uh, form of cardio, but I'm pretty sure it's up there. Um, see, this traditional type of workout is what we really think about when we want to lose weight. So, I'll say it's the most common type of cardio we really think of. But just like anything else, there are downfalls and there are benefits. So, of course, we're going to start with the benefits. Insulin sensitivity. Now, this is important for anyone who's type 2 diabetic or pre-diabetic. See, according to an article on Healthline, it has positive effects on insulin resistance. So, how so? Jogging promotes the use of carbohydrates as fuel, meaning that when you eat carbs, it promotes your body using it the way it's supposed to, not storing it as extra body fat. So, by training your body to use carbs properly, you can then improve insulin sensitivity. And if you haven't yet, I released an episode, I think about three weeks ago. It's in the history. You go to my episodes, and it's on um, metabolic flexibility and using different nutrients. So, if you want to understand how to really burn fat going forward, even as you age, learn to make your metabolism more flexible, meaning it can burn different types of nutrients accordingly, mainly fat, carbs, and protein. So, go back and check that episode out because it has ton of good benefits. Another benefit of um, jogging, it can help you cope with stress. I actually, when I jog, I actually don't jog for weight loss. I jog to clear my mind. In addition to this, it helps with proper breathing, right? So when you jog, and when you know how to jog properly, you can learn how to breathe properly to improve your performance. You need to learn to control your breath and don't lock your core. And I want to make sure I stress that because I've heard a lot of times, when I first started jogging, I've heard different advice, say you know even from quote unquote trainers, lock your core. You don't wanna do that because if you lock your core, it hinders proper breathing. So by jogging, breathing with your diaphragm and not locking your core, it teaches you to breathe properly and use oxygen appropriately. It can also improve your immune system. Here comes my first PubMed study. It's a research that explains that jogging can actually strengthen your immune system. It goes on to explain that moderate exercise like jogging Actually, it strengthens your body's response to illness. I want to stop here to explain that the reason why is that it's not as strenuous as, let's say, um, high-intensity workouts, which are also good. And eventually, I have an episode on high-intensity workouts. But it doesn't put as much stress and strain on your body. Um, Now the benefits of jogging can then extend to short-term illnesses like upper respiratory tract infections and long-term illnesses like diabetes that we talked about before. But even with so, earlier I I talked about um, jogging and lost my train of thought there. But yeah, I was talking about jogging and breathing. So that means that it can also help with COPD and breathing issues, which is what I talk about upper respiratory issues, right? And if you have asthma, depending on the type of asthma that you're prone to, that can also help there as well. And especially when you combine it with proper breathing techniques, that's when you're really seeing a benefit. But again, it depends on the type of issue that you may have. Jogging didn't help me and my asthma issues because it wasn't related to exercise. It was related to my gut, so I had to fix that issue. Now, of course, I got to say it can help you lose weight. This is a weight management show, after all. See, by training your body to burn carbs as fuel, it depletes your glycogen stores and can lead to fat oxidation, which is breaking down your body fat for fuel. And at the end of the day, to sustain weight loss, you need to maintain fat oxidation. See, we often say, oh, well, one person has a better metabolism or faster metabolism than another person. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. Your metabolism has to be flexible to be able to break down nutrients accordingly. Now, let me give an example of how to promote fat oxidation. When you eat sugars, when you eat carbs, your body immediately uses whatever it can as glucose for your brain and for for whatever activity you're doing. The extra... Then is stored as a glycogen, and depending on who you ask, the body can store between let's say 16 to 22 hours worth of glycogen. But anything more than it can store turns to body fat. So it's a three through so three throng process. So if you're not burning enough, your body's gonna keep storing and storing and storing and storing. Also calling on more insulin, and as it calls on more insulin, guess what happens? It can lead to insulin sensitivity in type two diabetes. Now, I want to also say here that jogging isn't the only exercise that can help with this, because like rowing or any moderate type exercise can help you with this with this activity. It can help you with COPD. It can help you with um, fighting diabetes and different health problems. You don't have to be a jogger, and I'm gonna get into that later. There are other benefits too that, honestly, if I should keep talking about jogging or moderate exercise, this episode could go on forever. But yes, jogging is uh, it's definitely can be a great exercise. But just like anything else, there are some possible downfalls. It can damage your joints. I actually came across this article in the American College of Sports Medicine. And it indicates that it can uh, damage your weight-bearing joints, and, uh, which is really one of the most significant disadvantages associated with, um, with jogging or running. This tends to lead to the infamous, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but it's called the runner's knee, which is quite common, especially in a lot of runners. And there are reasons for that, too, which I'm going to get into later in the episode. It can, and this is gonna sound a little contradictory to what I said before, increase the risk of heart attacks. See, excess running, in fact, any high, moderate to moderate intensity exercise that constantly raises your heart rate and raises your blood pressure, it puts a lot of stress on your heart and large organs. Because I want you to listen to this very closely 60% of your blood should be in your gut. Some, to your organs and the rest to fire up that amazing brain of yours but we're not designed to constantly pump blood to our large arteries because our body responds by raising our blood pressure our um our body responds by putting a lot more a lot of stress on our organs so that's why you can use sometimes see athletes in good shape look amazing they can uh, have a cardiac arrest. I mean, poor Christian Erickson, and everybody follows international football, or in the US we call it soccer. But I'm Jamaican, so we call it international, we call it football. And he collapsed on the field. And he's in great shape. He's a tremendous athlete. The, in my opinion, the best player on this team, best player on Denmark. So it's not just about how you look, it's also about your health. And I don't know his situation. It could be stress levels. I'm not sure exactly what caused what. But I can say that just by how looking at someone, you can't tell if they're healthy or not. And that's, again, why we have to take the holistic approach. Another possible downfall is sugar can actually cause, I'm sorry, I'm starting over. <laughs> Another possible downfall is jogging can actually cause sugar cravings and weight gain. And this is really tied to what I was talking about above. Because excess cardio, and excess looks different for everyone, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but it raises your cortisol levels, even in the hours post-workout, which can be good to help you to burn sugars and carbs and fats accordingly, leaving your metabolism to be more flexible. But if your cortisol level stays too high for too long, you can crave excess sugars, leaving you to fight cravings. Remember, our bodies prefer carbs, or even sometimes sugar as fuel. But don't don't let anything I say scare you, though. Because remember, I do have recommendations at the end. Now let's get into section two. Let's talk about walking. Because many trainers now say walking is the best kind of cardio. But is it really? Really? So let's start by talking about the benefits. There's an article in Harvard in Harvard Health and it lists five amazing benefits. So these are only five I'm really going to go over even though there are more to it. You see, it counteracts the effects of weight promoting genes. Now, I want to say that again. It counteracts the effects of weight promoting genes. I'm not saying that it promotes weight loss as far as you walk you're going to lose weight. But it can counteract the effects of weight promoting genes. Mean that there are genes and that, that actually promote weight gain, and we know that now. There's bacteria that actually promotes weight gain, and we know that now. So, this is important to understand. But walking, consistent, especially consistent walking, can help to counteract that, along with diet and nutrition, which I've talked about on so many past episodes. See, one of the downfalls of those who struggle to lose weight. They just don't walk enough. Remember, for optimal fat loss, we need a minimum of 10,000 steps per day at minimum. And I would like to see 5,000 before you eat your first meal. This is important for metabolic flexibility because we're not just talking about burning carbs. I'm not, I'm mostly talking about carbs and sugars in this episode. But to have a flexible metabolism, you need to be able to burn fat as well, and sometimes even protein. And walking, Especially getting five thousand before you eat allows that to happen. I'm not gonna recommend and say, okay, you should or shouldn't eat breakfast. Everybody's different. Actually, let me say, breakfast is when you break your fast. So that can be twelve o'clock, two o'clock. It Really depends on the person. I haven't eaten yet. Today's my weekly um twenty-four hour dinner to dinner fast. So I'm actually gonna eat after I kind of after I put this episode together. But. When you eat fats, your body should be able to burn it. When you eat carbs, your body should be able to burn it. And walking is really beneficial in that way. Because when we get up and we immediately start to eat food, our tank is still full. So then by throwing more food in a tank that's already full, you're just storing more glycogen and even storing more fat. So that's why walking and moving around in the mornings, getting around 5K before you eat breakfast, again, that could be 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock, depending on what program you're on, cause you to burn the excess fats that you have over. It can cause you to burn the excess uh, carbs that you have, the glycogen that you have stored. Promoting fat oxidation. And again, if you want to sustain weight management or fat loss, you have to Everything you do needs to be geared towards fat oxidation, which is breaking down of body fat. And for anyone who struggles to lose weight, it's not just about a fast metabolism. It's about your body's ability to break down fat accordingly. And your body is not good at breaking down fat accordingly. And that's why we have to take the holistic approach because a flexible metabolism is tied into fat oxidation. It actually helps to tame your sweet tooth. Hmm. Most people, actually, I, didn't, I wasn't even sure about this until I started doing my research, but now it makes sense because I actually don't have a sweet tooth. I haven't had a sweet tooth in tooth in years. See, there's a pair of studies. It's from the University of um, so Exeter. Found that a 50 minute walk can curb cravings for chocolate And even reduce the amount of chocolate you eat in stressful situations. See, one of the main benefits is that it can balance your cortisol levels. We now know that excess cortisol leads to sugar cravings. So next time you crave a bar of chocolate, hmm, go for a walk. You know, it can also help to balance out, like I talk about your cortisol levels, right? So when your cortisol levels is high and you're constantly craving sugars, you go for a walk, listen to a nice music, talk to somebody who's relaxing, and you balance out your cortisol levels, lowering your sugar cravings. Because the higher your cortisol levels, the more sugar you crave, because your body thinks you're under attack and it needs excess energy, and your body does prefer sugars and carbs. So that's how that's one way how stress messes us up. That's one way how stress causes us to crave more sugars and eat more sugars. It also reduces the risk of developing breast cancer. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm getting these straight from the sources here and proven research studies. And this is a study from the American Cancer Society that shows that walking, that, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. It's a study for the American Cancer Society, and walking found that women who walked seven or more hours a week had a fourteen percent lower risk of breast cancer than those who walked three hours or fewer per week. Say it again. Women who walk seven or more hours a week had a fourteen percent lower risk of developing breast cancer than those who walk three or fewer hours per week. Now, we know how prevalent breast cancer is, cancer in general. And we always, you know, we have October breast cancer. We're in this month, well, I wear pink, which is great. I wear pink for most of the month. I actually have pink sneakers that I only wear in the month of October, every year. But, it's, and it's good to have recognition. It's good to donate money. It's good to have support. But we have to do things that can also help us. Is you know, it's we are our own. We are our own. I should say, our best health advocates. Nobody's gonna take care of us the way we're going to take care of ourselves. So stop and think about that. Now, I'm not saying that if you walk, you're going to not have cancer, but it's taking a holistic approach so your body can operate on its most optimal, not normal but the most optimal level. Walking can also ease joint pain, or in some cases I'll say lessen joint pain, because it's not as hard on your joints as, say, jogging. There are studies that show that walking reduces arthritis-related pain, and walking five to six miles a week even prevent arthritis from forming in the first place. Now, there are reasons for this, and it, has comes, it comes down to um, a, a lot of things. The fact of movement, your joints being warm, your joints being moved in a way that is not as um, strenuous on your body, and so on and so forth. There's so many things that comes into this. But what I want you to take away from this is by walking can assist with preventing arthritis. Of course, it boosts immune health. And immune function. There's a study of over a thousand men and women. It found that those who walked at least 20 minutes a day, at least five days a week, had 43% fewer sick days than those who exercise once a week or less. Isn't that insane? 43%. So, walking can help to boost immunity. And we need to walk more. See, during um, flu and cold season, most of us barely move, adding to the reasons why we get sick and we stay sick so easy. Aside from not getting no vitamin D and everything else and eating a lot more sugary foods, the list goes on and on. But walking can be great for your body. I personally take between ten to twelve thousand steps most days. Anybody that knows and who listens to my podcast knows that. And if I'm feeling froggy, I may even get over fifteen thousand. And it's in the days that I fast, I do my twenty four hour—I should say—dinner to dinner fast. So just to give you a timeline, right now it's five thirty on uh, Thursday. The so last time I ate was seven o'clock on Wednesday, and I tried to get ten thousand steps before I eat. So within my fasting window, I try to get at least 10,000 steps. Because fats and walking promotes so many good things for your body. And I just gave you a list and I can continue on with this episode forever, but I just want to give you a highlight of some of the things to look for. But like everything else, nothing is perfect, right? So let me give you the flip side, the possible downfalls. This goes without saying, it doesn't burn as many calories as jogging. Walking can be a great exercise. But there are times when you need to turn up the oven, right? Burn more energy to promote fat oxidation. So depending on your fitness level, you can walk for miles but never reach the cardio zone. Which when you're walking, it's hard to really, even when even brisk walking, it's, it can be difficult to get into the cardio zone and hitting the cardio zone at least a couple of times for a week is great for sustainable weight loss. And I'm gonna, again, I'm going to get into that a little bit later towards the end. Not as much after cardio burn, which comes back to the fact that you didn't really hit the cardio zone. So that means that you may not get as much post-workout energy burn as, let's say, jogging. That's why you can't just walk in the morning to say, I'm done. You have to constantly walk throughout the day, to sustain fat loss, and continue burning fats and carbs as needed for energy. You have to keep moving. A body in motion stays in motion, and a metabolism in motion stays in motion. You can't ramp it up in the mornings and then leave it the rest of the day and think you're gonna be fine. That's just how it works. Now, walking can also be too strenuous. This is this is vital if you have like achy joints. In fact, when you're constantly striking the floor, you can damage your joints, which leads to knee pain. I've never actually heard this term used, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. I can pat I can patent it. Walker's knee. Now that we know these things, I'm gonna get into the part that Everybody wants to hear which one works best and how to implement. I don't think most people, especially if you've been listening to me for a while, are gonna be surprised at my answer. It really depends. It's really best to have a combination of each, but this is only if you can. If you're new to fitness, it's better to start off with brisk walking, I say brisk walking, three to four days a week for about 30 minutes. But remember, keep walking throughout the day, and metabolism in motion stays in motion. See, my personal rule, I do not sit for more than an hour each time, even if I'm working, working around a desk. Every hour, I get up for five minutes, even that means taking a lap around for maybe about 30, 60 seconds. This is great for your joints and great for your metabolism. As your fitness level increases, then you can start to move to two days where you walk, two days where you do a walk, run, or a jog. This is great for your cardio health. And you're beginning to experience the benefits of both. So you didn't just start jogging out of nowhere. Your body is now, and and you didn't start I guess to say just putting excess stress on your body. Your body is now starting to adjust to, okay, I'm walking and my cardio health is getting better. I'm breathing better. And doing walking, you can also practice your breathing, just like in jogging. But but the other two days, now you're doing a walk-jog or a walk-run. That can be really beneficial. Now, from there, you can get to an area where you have two jogging days. Into walking days. Right? This is important because now you're making a transition. Your cardio health is getting better. You're feeling better. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna have two days where I walk, two days where I jog, to so improve your cardio health. And your jogging days can say, say it's a uh, two miles, or if possible, three miles. Do so a short five k or something. But you want to throw in your walking days because you don't wanna you don't wanna have jogging days consistently because you're putting all the excess pressure on your joints. And also, it may lead you to eat more food unnecessarily post-workout. So you want to have two days. Let's say you um, you alternate them, however, jog, walk, jog, walk, however. Or since they're seven days in a week, you can, you know, just kind of spread them out and have like a a day or two in the middle. But you want to have something like that. It's going to be best for you. And and then also, you don't want to put too much pressure on your joints, right? And the days that you walk, you can practice your breathing for the days that you jog. And depending on how much you, I say, run jog, I recommend you get a book to learn proper form. Because that will make it easier on your legs, easier on your quads, easier on your knees. You can also, to kind of prevent the, um, the excess uh, pressure on your knees, you can even... Incorporate like an upper body focus type of cardio. So that, that would be like uh, rowing, for example. Even like a, another lower body focus cardio that doesn't put as much stress on your joints like uh, biking or stationary biking, which works for you. Now, this goes without saying, you need to lift weights and build muscle. Do not assume that cardio alone will sustain fat oxidation. Cardio is is great for giving your body the right signals. It is great for your cardio health and your upper respiratory um, issues and for your immune system. But you do need a healthy combination of each. So you need to combine your cardio with muscle building. Also, when you train your legs and you train your quads, it actually helps you to take the pressure off your knees because most individuals that have knee pain, a lot of individuals who run a lot, they actually don't spend enough time building up their quad muscles or working on their hamstrings. So building muscle is very important to take the, the pressure off your joints. So you still want to throw in, you know, from let's say four days a week at least, uh, weightlifting. And I don't mean like, you know, two hours of training. There's so many things you can do. You can work with a trainer. You can go to YouTube, get videos. You can message me and I'll find things for you to do. But you need to have a good four days of weightlifting. And that's also good too with throwing in with the cardio and the walking because if you're strapped for time, you can walk throughout the day, get your 10,000 know, 10, steps. You don't have to walk in a chunk. But you want to have two days that you do your jogging. You want to get up to that point at least. Or, like I said, an upper body focused type of cardio or biking or something like that. That's having, you know, not just your metabolism is uh is diverse, but your type of workouts are diverse. Thanks so much for listening. Keep being awesome. And you guys know if you need assistance, you can message me on Instagram at Zico Health. You can join my, my crew, the Zico Health crew, my Facebook group. Keep being awesome. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.